Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Hello, okay, hi, welcome to Self-Worst Podcast with Brad Pearson I'm Brad Pearson Hope you're having a good week We're almost through February it's almost time for it to be another cold kind of gray month. It's okay. We're getting through it. Days are getting longer. Things are getting, uh, you know, it's, it's around the corner. Springtime. But in the meantime, just just sit in winter. It's fine. It'll pass. All things will. Don't worry about it. So, this week we're talking to Audrey Brem. Uh, she is the co-host of Radio Free Tote Bag. You may remember I had Donovan on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, now I got the other one. Now I got them both. Collected them all. Boom. On the show. And this was a really good talk. This is a long one. We talked for quite a, quite a while. It's a long boy, That's and I think that's okay. Sometimes it just feels right, you know? Sometimes you just keep your vibing and you just want to keep on. I, I like to try and keep them around an hour or so, just because that seems like a that's like the pre-agreed upon format of a general podcast episode, unless you're like a Joe Rogan guy and you go on for three and a half hours. And this is what I'm saying is like, be, be, if sometimes a podcast is two hours, no big deal. Here's what you can do. You can listen to it in installments if it's too long for you. You can listen to it at 1.5 speed. I don't give a shit. So long as you listen to the whole thing, because it's all good. And I wanted to keep it all in. But, yes, I had a lot of fun talking to Audrey. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna keep the intro brief, because, you know, this is, this is a long episode already. And I just want to get to her and what she has to say. Okay? So... Without any further ado, let's go to our stupid uh, plugs and uh, promotions and housekeeping. Okay, so follow me at Radical Pearson, Instagram, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Uh, follow the show at Self Worst. You can subscribe to our Patreon, which we talk about in this episode, uh, for as little as a dollar a month. And you get bonus content. There's bonus content on there. We were maybe brainstorming about new bonus content that we can bring you. If you've got any suggestions, let me know. Drop me a line at selfworst. Selfworst at Gmail. I don't care. You can find me. Tell me. I don't know. I'm bad at this. I am bad at making money on anything. It's not good. How little money... I have right now. Whoa. You ever you ever uh, cook ramen noodles and, and you're kind of holding back tears as you're watching them boil in the pot? Because you're just like, still, I'm still on these, huh? Okay. Well, eh, they're pretty good if you just uh, put an egg in and get your protein. It's going to be okay. It's fine. Uh, anyway. I'm getting sidetracked. I said I was going to be brief. That's all, though, right? Patreon. Uh, that's all. That's all I got to say. Tag us if you like this show. Tell a friend and, and, and tag us on, on socials. Take a screenshot. Rate and review. All of that stuff. Whatever. 
Who gives a shit? Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this episode together and, and get it out to you guys, and I'm I'm gonna go lay down. That's what I'm gonna do. I had a long week, so uh, hope you're having a good one. And let's go to the interview with Audrey Brum. So yeah, you're all you're all fed, you're all fueled, you're ready to go. Oh I yeah, just, I got a got a ham egg and cheese sandwich in my tummy. It's time. I got my usual slop down, like I was saying. Um, I've been yeah. on a slop kick. I, I I do a cream of wheat and like a protein shake. That's my usual yeah. breakfast. And then I just had it again because that's all we had in the house. And I was like, eh, fuck it, I'll just <laughs> do it again. So I yeah, don't know. I, like I like a cholesterol festival is what mm, I like to say. Cholesterol for, festival. For I, are are you somebody who like? Uh, with ADD, like you can eat the same thing over and over. Or you oh, have like yeah. weird food rules and stuff like that. Cause that's... I go through kicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll have this ham, egg and cheese sandwich. I'll have this every morning yeah. for like six weeks. Yeah. And then it'll be oatmeal and then yep. it'll, that'll be for six weeks. Yeah. I go through. Yeah. Cycles I, I do a lot of that last, last winter for whatever reason, I got on a cold cereal kick. We were like last January, we were staying at some Airbnb up in Massachusetts. We bought, we like went to a Rite Aid and bought a thing of like Reese's Puffs. And I was like, hell yeah, this is my jam now. Now I want Reese's Puffs, Reese's Puffs. Yeah, they were so good. Beat them up, beat them up, beat them up. And they like, I never really eat cereal, like cold cereal, because it's kind of a scam. It's expensive. It doesn't actually fill you up. It's got no protein. Like, you know, but, but I just like couldn't stop for a while. I was just like yeah. really on a cinnamon life kick for a while. I try and explain yeah. this stuff to my girlfriend and like, she's very like particular about food and um, you know, she really like, she's a great cook and like, you know, it's like a big Jamie Oliver fans all about like a big gestalt meal, stuff like yeah. that. And, and like, so anything that's like mushy, it's just like kind of like a mush texture she doesn't yeah. like. So like anything they, that becomes a mush over time. Cream of wheat, get a cold chili, cereal fast enough. Stuff, yeah. Just I, I can't I can't sell her on slops. I was doing overnight oats for a while in the summer. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. I just got my little container of slop in the morning. It's all ready to go. And it's good to go. It's, it's got done. cinnamon I in it. About it. I don't have to think about it. That's mo- mostly what it is. It's just like, what can I like not think about and just eat? And I know that has nutrients yeah. for me. You know, that's... See now, yeah. When I go to the grocery store, I get my staples. I get the things that I eat. I went on a hot dog kick recently. I was eating, um, I was having a hot dog in an everything bun with jalapenos, bacon bits, and cream cheese. Ooh. Was my very decadent, again, <laughs> cholesterol festival meal. Uh, and I was eating those uh, every day. But then on top of that, I would like, I just kind of walk through and then I enter my mind palace and I'm like, what might be good? Stir fry. I can make a stir fry this week. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and then I buy the things for that and spend far too much money on <laughs> preparing these elaborate dinners in addition to my little segregated breakfasts. I defy you not to spend too much money on groceries these days. I'm sorry. It's right. just like impossible. impossible. We can't fucking win <laughs> like a hundred dollars yeah. worth of groceries fits into a backpack. It's crazy. <laughs> it's true. It's genuinely fucking true. I feel like a crazy person. I'm like, there's yeah. no way this was a hundred dollars. And yet it was anyway. Yeah. Uh, hey everybody, let's introduce our guest. Uh, well, like, let's have our guest introduce herself. How about that? Love that. Uh, my name is Audrey. I am. I use the she/her pronouns, and I am a podcaster and retail worker uh, currently living in Northern Kentucky. 
All right, and yeah, you're you're the other half of, of Radio Free Tote oh, Bag. We just had well, Donovan yeah, on the that. show a couple couple of weeks ago, and yeah, that's uh, right. that was a great episode. So yeah, uh, let's let's get started. I don't know where where should we begin. Let's let's start with young Audrey. Um, you were you were a, a, a greasy kid. You were in the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> you got bullied a lot. Let's talk about that stuff. Okay, so like. The JW stuff, it's like from as far back as I remember, that's like some of my earliest memories is sitting in the Kingdom Hall Mm -hmm. and just wanting to squirm and yell and run and, you know, be the little ADHD child that I was uh, and having a very strong sense that that was not the right thing to do, especially considering the the, uh, getting pulled out and yelt up and, you know, you know, the folks take you out to the car and they, they tell you all about how you're fucking up. And mm-hmm. uh, that part's uh, those those memories get a little hazy because there's like a lot of trauma associated. With yeah. So, so it sounds don't. like you had like fairly pronounced hyperactivity when you were yeah. young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially like, um, I don't know. This How weird can I get? OK, so weird as you uh, want. I'm I'm a little I'm a little baby child. And I'm having erections for the first time. And for some reason, I feel the need to tell everybody. I'm like, because I don't understand what's happening. So I'd like yell it in the kingdom hall. And that's the most mortifying thing that you can have happen as a parent. You're like, I'm in this really buttoned down social setting with these people that ostensibly I want their respect. I want them to know that I'm a good parent. And that I'll be a good functionary in this uh, this little community. And my kid is yelling, uh, my penis is big. Uh, <laughs> horrifying. Gotta be horrifying. Uh, but what yeah, was their know. response to that? They well, that was the that was the pulling out of. Uh, that was the okay. <laughs> we gotta get them. That out was here. the okay. We have to address this. You can't tell people about what's going on with that. And I'm like, but I don't really get what's happening. Right. <laughs> they hadn't explained uh, to you previously that like this will happen sometimes it gets uh it gets sometimes it gets a little pronounced yeah perhaps (laughs) it goes away and everything's fine i don't know that i i still like i for the longest it was never really explained to me and yet i was fascinated i was obsessed uh uh with that particular uh uh part of living i i was told i was told that uh i would ask people when i was very very young i was like do you have a penis yeah i do that uh, too yeah yeah, I think that's that I think, like up? most most kids do that, you know. Isn't you just, that fucked up? And then nobody ever know. mentions it. It's never mentioned again. You do it for like until you're three or four years old, like you're yeah. just sort of learning for like how to speak. And one of your first words is penis for some reason. Well, because it's right there and you just want to know because yeah. it's it's like a everybody's wearing clothes when you see them, hopefully. Yeah. And um, you want to know what what they got going on because you have this part of your body that's that's there and yeah. and it is this weird little thing and and you want to know like what you got one too because I've heard some people don't and that's yeah, wild so, too that's the wild one that's like crazy. How, did, how does that work what do you have instead and then no one will tell you that because you can't you don't possibly need to know about that until much much later yeah exactly but so, it's so weird that you had the same experience of like. Uh, you want to talk about it when, and know about it, and yet 
I I hope I wonder if any of your if many of your listeners have that same experience. I think so. like I think it's a pretty common like was it like that was literally like a joke on kindergarten cop or something, wasn't it? And it just like the oh, kid raises right. his hand and he's like, Boys have a penis and girls have a vagina or something like that. And he's like, Okay, well, well yeah, they sure do. Sure, yep. And you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 transgender uh, uh, terminology was not quite a thing yet in the 90s and probably wouldn't have sure. been addressed by kindergarten cop anyway. But, you know, they were they were doing their best <laughs> at the time. Yeah, I'm just imagining Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to explain that sex and gender are not this you are not Actually, sex and gender, are, you are assigned male or female at birth. Yeah, that would that'd be really funny. Um, so, like, your parents, uh, like... What were they raised Jehovah's Witness or like did they they got into it later? No, my uh, my father was Episcopalian. Is that the one? Yeah, it's a thing. Catholicism, kind of. I think Uh, so, or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, He was raised in a family uh, that that did that kind of thing, so really kind of buttoned up and uh, very Orthodox ish Mm kind of situation. My mother. I don't actually know what her stated religious background was, but I know that she was a big Bible follower is the way she puts Mm. it. She's like, it's all about the Bible. It's got to be the Bible whole thing. She believes in uh, something called biblical inerrancy that the, uh, the Bible has been protected by God throughout uh, history and prevent like changes to it have been prevented Mm. uh, by the, by the power of God. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, I'm pretty sure there's a bunch (laughs) of different versions of it. Yeah, there sure are pretty a whole sure bunch of different. Pretty sure it's been changed a lot. Actually, it's kind of a fluid yeah. document, like more so exactly. than the United States Constitution. It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's been more amendments in the Constitution for sure. Yeah, it's. But uh, so that's that's where she's coming from. Okay. She finds the Jehovah's Witnesses, and she goes, "Oh my God, these people are real into the Bible. They're like mm-hmm. way into this book, and they believe that 144,000 people will be saved, and then everybody else is kind of fucked." Uh, and you just got to hope that you're in that little group. And I'm kind of like, there's like millions of people, only 144,000. That seems like a really tiny amount of people making it through to the good part in paradise. How did they arrive at that number? number? How'd they arrive? Do you know? No idea. No idea how they arrived Because we we left when I was like, God, I think I was like six. That's good. When we left that church, I started, we started when I was like three. And I think we left when I was six. But like, uh... I'm still pretty like blood transfusions weird me out because they're mm-hmm. like taboo. Like you can't receive the blood of somebody else. Right. Uh, so that part's goofy for me. And then like uh, in school, I would talk all the time about like, I'm not doing the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm not doing it. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because you're worshiping a false idol. <laughs> not for the cool reason. I'm not, not for the cool I'm reason. I'm not sitting not out the on the Pledge class. of Allegiance for the cool reason. I'm doing it for the <laughs> weird, nerdy, religious kid reason. <laughs> exactly. I was pushing up my glass. And <laughs> uh, a lot of that. Uh, and sort of that's that's my, my real religious background. Because they like, I did the JW, so I was about six. And I think part of the reason why we bailed on that is because I went to my parents and I was like, okay, listen. The other kids at school, we come back from Christmas break and they're all talking about like all the cool stuff that they got for Christmas. And it's not that I want the stuff, really, because Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas or birthdays. And I was like, and it's not really that I don't want the that I want the stuff. That's not even it. It's the fact that I don't have anything to talk about when all the other kids are 
And they look at me weird. They think it's a weird thing that I didn't get anything for Christmas. Yeah. And so I think they were kind of like, wow, we're isolating, weirding our kid. <laughs> like we're making our kid isolated and weird. Yeah, let's, that's, uh, I mean, Jehovah's Witness, like JW in, in like a overall sense seems like really hard sell for kids. Yeah. No birthdays, no Christmas, no, birthday, no, no presents. Christmas. But if you're extraordinarily lucky, <laughs> mm -hmm. you get to be part of a very comparatively small group of human beings who are going to make it through. Well, paradise. that's what's weird about the whole thing is like, I take it there are more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. So they have to know that like they're not all getting in there just because yeah, they subscribe that's... to the religion. But you got to give people the good news. Mm. That's the whole thing. Uh, I, I used to do like um, in-service days where like I was like four years old and they would put me in a little suit and they put me in the in the whip with this other family uh, who's oh, what what the the, the Grams were their mm -hmm. names. I got put in the car with the Grams with all their little idyllic children who were just like so well behaved and so uh, not me. Uh, and we would go and drive around to different people's houses and they would like carry me up to the front. Like they like because they're like, well, we're, we ran out of real little ones. We got mm -hmm. all these like older kids. We need a little kid to be like our in to talk to people because nobody wants to turn away the people that have the little kid with them right you know so i felt like i was sort of a something of a mascot for the for the in-service program well that's good you you found your niche anyway in the, in the <laughs> yeah so like so after after six after you left uh the jehovah's witness church then then what mm -hmm. i uh I remember I was watching a documentary of something. I think it was Frontline with my dad. I did a lot of that, too. Mm -hmm. Dad would be watching Frontline. I'd be up late hanging out with my dad. And he was like, there was something about a, like, about Hinduism. We were watching this thing on Hinduism and, like, political influence of Hinduism in India. And we're watching this thing, and... I kind of go, what's what's up with that? Like they they're really into this Hinduism thing. And dad kind of explains the little quick and dirty, like basically what he knows of Hinduism. And I go, oh, so there's like there's like other religions and stuff. And he's like, yeah, there's like <laughs> Judaism, Islam, all these all these yeah. different things. And I go, huh, what makes ours right over theirs? And he's just kind of goes, he was never as into the religious end of things right. as uh, as my mother was. And he just kind of goes. Well, it's kind of just what we believe. And I'm like, well, that's kind of just what they believe. <laughs> and he goes, I really, I don't have a great answer for you. You just got to believe what you believe. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What's it called if you don't know? And he goes, that's called agnosticism. And I go, that one. I want to do that one. Right. Where I don't know. Where I think there is something. I am of a, I am of a belief that there is something uh, not necessarily in control, not sure. necessarily creative. But there is something beyond what we perceive. Yeah. There's a higher. But order. I don't know what the hell it is. There's something. There's right. something going on. There has to be. Because like, I don't know. I I hate it when when people of of great faith will use the whole watchmaker thing. They say, like, you come across, you know, a perfectly formed watch in the desert. You don't do you assume that it happened randomly or do you assume that it was created? And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your guy did it in seven creation days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, something did this. 
some force did this right something put that force in motion why why do you have to name it like i don't think you can name it in good conscience yeah i get that i get that yeah yeah i don't know i i was a very like different path i guess like i was raised unitarian and so like oh hell yeah that's actually that's where i want to get that's my current sort of religious bent is i'm a unitarian universalist oh really yeah. You're like you're like going to you got a church out there and everything. I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, the church that I really went to was in college. Uh, I met a girl uh, when I was like 19, and she was like, "Hey, you should. Uh, we should like make out." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Mm-hmm. And uh, we get to talking, and she actually encouraged me to get my GED. She was a very good influence uh, on me. We can. I'm kind of blowing through a whole bunch of stuff to get to the <laughs> Unitarians, but. Um, she takes me to a Unitarian church and she goes, yeah, I have some friends that um, do music at the Unitarian church and I kind of dig the message. Do you want to go? I go, sure. And I remember they do the reading at the beginning of the however many tenants. I can't even remember how many tenants. Seven. But the first the first one being uh, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every human yeah, being. That's a big one. And I go. <laughs> inherent worth and dignity you mean to tell me i have worth and dignity i can go with that sounds good right yeah yeah so it's it's that one um, just made me feel good and that's the first religion i encountered that made me feel good so i'm like okay that one the older i get and the more i talk to people from you know who were like raised in any particular religion the more i realize like how much i looked out um yeah you know especially like uh, i don't know like Nebraskan Unitarians, not a lot of us, you know, like sure. just, just statistically, that was a pretty small, uh, little pool for me to, to, to land right. perfectly in. Yeah. Um, and I've haven't really like gone back. Like I'll go back occasionally if I'm in my hometown and like my parents want to like take me to church and show me off or whatever, you know, to their church friends. Like, Oh yeah, I'll go just be like part of the community. But like, I, haven't wanted to like actually go to a church in a long time, but if I yeah. did, it probably would be that. Mm-hmm. And um, like, how lucky is that that the first, you know, like the religion I was raised in, the spiritual community that I was raised in, is like the one that I'm still kind of the most like uh, copacetic with. It's it's yeah. it's pretty rare because like I mean, at least for like people of my, I don't know, demographic, you know, like like, millennial lefties, like tend to have moved away from the religion they were raised with. Yeah. Spirituality they were raised in. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's weird that like, that's like the one thing that we kind of got right (laughs) the first time. And, you know, didn't have to, didn't have to really like experiment much with, I don't know. Very lucky. Uh, we were at the Unitarian Universalist church of Northern Chautauqua County. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in Western New York, and it was very small, very tight knit, full of like old hippies yep. and like folk musicians and shit. And that was a lot of fun. We would go and like I would play. I played a traditional Irish frame drum called a baron that I learned at the Renaissance Festival, which is another era of my life that I'm <laughs> sure we will get into. Um, and I would play the baron with them while they were like jamming on you know violins and shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was great. It was a good little time. And then when we moved to we moved to columbus but we were staying in cincinnati for a while so we started to go to this uh huge there's like a giant unitarian congregation in cincinnati and we started going to that and i remember the first time i went and they did a music service and it being like cringe 
Like yeah. I went to a cringe music service where yeah. it was, um, there's that song, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a South African, I think it's uh, Tosa Spiritual. Uh, they, something about, I can't do it in, in Tosa, of course, but right. the uh, the lyrics go, we are marching in the light of God. We are marching in the light of right. God. And it's just this repeated kind of chant thing. And they were performing it in Tosa, these very, very white people. And I remember being like, I don't know. I don't know if this is your lane. Yeah, <laughs> I, feel, I mean, this feeling look, real weird about it. Religious music is uh, never good. I don't think it's ever, yeah. other than maybe like some black gospel stuff. That's pretty sure. sick. So like Sam yeah. Cooke and the Soul Stirrers, like stuff like that. That's pretty chill. But like other than that, most religious music is bad and particularly uh, formed by gray ponytail yeah guys. yeah just like weird <laughs> old like granola people trying to like yeah. like got really into the world music thing when like paul mm -hmm. simon was doing it and like it's just <laughs> comes from a nice comes from a good place yes. but really that's why is, i was conflicted yeah. i was like yeah we are marching in the light of god but i don't know man <laughs> like that's uh, this makes me feel strange i don't yeah. maybe that's something about like religious music and the sort of the repeated, like it, I don't know, maybe I'm immune to being enraptured in that way. Cause like mm -hmm. you listen to our God is an awesome God. And that refrain is just hit over and over and over again. And it's supposed to create something of like a hypnotic yeah. effect in the people that listen to it and like an ecstatic feeling. Uh, it just makes me feel kind of weird and gross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's with like Hebrew uh, I don't know what they got. It's like a chant. It's like a it like mm -hmm. and you, like when they recite it, they kind of rock, and it's sort of like a yeah. um, it is like a rhythmic, repetitive sort of thing, and you like get into this like headspace, and like that's that's like a deeply, you know, weirdly human thing that goes back to you know just uh, dance around fires and hunter gatherer societies yeah. and something. We have this connection to some weird mystical thing that gets ignited when we get together and chant and bang a drum and yeah. stuff like i don't know what that is but like it's it's makes cool <laughs> it's weird it, makes it, me uh, feel it weird. usually makes me feel yeah uncomfortable and like i i don't even yeah. really like i mean i love karaoke but like yeah. people singing at me uh <laughs> makes me uncomfortable usually sure. or or like even like like drum circles make me wildly uncomfortable which like as a as a, like a protester like really like yep. during occupy i was like guys stop yeah, we look so I stupid i hate this shit we're giving them exactly like this is the message <laughs> that we we don't i don't want this think like, of the optics we're literally sitting in a drum circle a drum circle with a bunch of white guys with dreadlocks and hacky sacks and shit man we're trying to convince the world that like we're worth being paid more right. like <laughs> we're that we're like competent professional thing. you know people who are like good at our jobs and 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 and, and worthy of of uh, uh you know dignity and right. and we're just at you know we're, just, we're doing the fucking hippie thing that our parents uh stop i hate that uh, as a as a person of of Renaissance festival uh -huh. heritage, I I dig a drum circle a little bit. It's kind of <laughs> cool when you when you're playing in it. Sure, like it's kind of fun. But I like I don't know. I couldn't get with one that I wasn't involved. I with. mean, I've 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 
chilled out on my judgments of of like how other people like have fun and get through life and and do shit like that because you know like whatever man like it, it like I know people who are like big fish heads and stuff and like love jam bands. I'm like, you could not hog tie me and take me to one of yeah, those same. shows. But <laughs> if it does something for you, bro, like cool, right. go with God. Like, I, I don't know, yeah. man, like that, that's fine. And like it, like the way they talk about it seems like, so like they're having such a great time. And it's just so reverent and, and that rapturous and there's a, feeling. There's yeah. a good community there. And like, Cool, man. That's great. Love that for you. I'm not going near that shit, though. Yeah, not, not in a million me. years. But yeah. yeah. Um, so let's let's rewind a little bit and, and talk yeah. a little bit more about like, uh, you know, uh, a, a young, young, weird Audrey uh, being a being a bullied kid and and, yeah. and like what it was like, um, you know, because I feel like we all when you were talking about how like you had like in your pre-interview packet, uh, you had, uh, you know, bad hygiene and greasy hair and like wore that barn jacket that stunk. Like I thought of this kid I went to middle school with, who was like very much this, like just greasy hair dandruff and just like, just like this kind of gross person. Like there, there is always that, Person. There's always the stinky kid. There's always the smelly yeah. kid. Yeah. There's always like the stink kid. And like, so what, what was that for you? For me, it's like nobody wants to be the stinky kid. And most of the time, stinky kid doesn't even realize they're a stinky kid. Mm-hmm. They just are so horrifyingly depressed that they can't get it together to get into a routine of cleaning themselves. Also, there is a certain degree of parental neglect in somebody mm-hmm. who is able to like my mom drove me to school every day. She had to like look at me and be like, wow, my kid's greasy as fuck. I probably should have encouraged them. Get in the get in the shower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Take yeah. control over over the behavior somewhat, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was just miserable and left to that. Mm-hmm. You know. To like, and that sort of explains that end of things. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of a time when, because like I wanted to, uh, you know, I was romantically interested as well as a, uh, as a kid. You know, you know how you have like the the person who has like a girlfriend at age six. Yeah, that was me. I was right. always on the playground uh, trying to get a girlfriend. You're amorous. Yeah. It sounds like sounds like uh, like pretty short latency period so far as like sexuality and sexual curiosity and stuff. Oh yeah. That that, is not, that cropped up like right away. Um, yeah, I was, I was fully masturbating before I could even like actually ejaculate. Fucking same. Yeah. That's so weird. The first time it happened, my parents were pretty good about like sex ed stuff. Like I knew like the basic mechanics of it. I didn't know about, um, come as like a white group sure. that you know yeah. you sh- I didn't nobody told me about the ropes right, right? and so the first time that actually nobody happened showed nobody showed me the ropes and <laughs> the, so the first time that happened I was just like what the fuck and like thought I like yeah, broke my dick and was just like <laughs> crying in my room and just like thought that like I was sick or something I'd heard like I'd saw I saw some TV special about like these troops coming back with Gulf War syndrome and they were talking about how their their saliva was like thick like like Elmer's glue. 
Yeah. And I thought, like, do I have that somehow? Did I do get I have it? golf it war syndrome somehow? Like, I was just fully fucking crazy. Yeah. And it's like, so bizarre. Almost asked my dad about it, which would have been pretty embarrassing, but he probably would have. Dad would have been like, oh. Yeah. Oh, it, it probably would have cleared oh, it up. Oh, okay. But, like, yeah. I swear it was like later that week I was in like sex ed and they explained the whole thing. And I was like, that's like, okay. Good. Fucking thank God. Oh, All right. God. I'm fine. But they timed that okay for you. <laughs> yeah. Like again, like I, I lucked out in a lot of ways so far as like, you know, just just resources and shit that like a lot of kids don't get so far yeah. as like comprehensive sex ed and like education about contraception and stuff like that. That's yeah. just just really is a crapshoot in yeah. in America. For me uh-huh. for me. I was uh, uh, I was at the mall with my sister, and you go into like the little toy store, and you're looking at stuff, and they had these little things called doodle pens, and they had a little button on them, and it would make the pen vibrate. So you're trying to write with the pen, and it mm-hmm, gets all mm-hmm, weird, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. My sister was like, "What a fun toy! I'll buy it for my little at the time brother, now sister." Uh, and so I'm, I'm at home with the doodle pen. I'm playing with the doodle pen. Oh, this is fun to write with. And I kind of put it on my nose. Hey, that feels weird. I put it on my ear. Oh, that feels weird. I put it on my... Oh, that feels weird. <laughs> that feels weird. And you just let it go right, just until leave it the there. magic happens. Right. And then you're like, okay, I'm rewired entirely for the rest of my life Yeah. at age seven. Uh so that that you know, and I and you never tie the two things together really at the time. You're never like sexuality and romance. For me, I was always just like I just wanted to. I just always wanted to have a girlfriend. Like <laughs> this is something about, the, but it never like it never occurred to me to do anything genitally right up until much later. Right. So it's this weird disconnect between those two things. But I just remember like I always wanted a girlfriend, and I'm sitting in my seat, I think I'm in like fourth grade, maybe a little, maybe sixth grade. And uh, this girl like knew that I was like into her and, but she was also kind of a bully. So she came over and she sat on my desk and she looks at me and I'm like looking up at her, like what's gonna happen next? She tries to run her fingers through my hair, but my hair is too tangled and gross. And I'm just like, this is bad. Like, I don't know. This is a really bad thing that's happening to me. Right. Did she, did she like pull her hand back and like smell? She pulled her hand back and kind of (laughs) (laughs) shook the hand off. Oh, so gross. Like, wipes it off on her jeans or whatever. Right. Fucking disgusting. Uh, But yeah, it's just a greasy, stinky, amorous, fucking irritating child. Uh huh. Like, I always wanted to get jokes off, but I wasn't funny at the time. Yeah. So I'm, like, always trying to say something funny. It takes a long time to develop that shit. And, like, you know, I'm not saying this was the case for you, but, like, sometimes I look back um, on how I was as a kid, and I'm like, "Mm, my bullies kind of had a point. (laughs) Yeah. I was just, like, fully, like, yeah, they, like, I I wish they weren't so mean, but also, I kind of get it. I was probably pretty annoying. Yeah. 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 And then, like, it's weird how hierarchies appear even among the bullied because there mm-hmm. were kids that I thought were annoying. Yep. That I never really I never really did anything to him. But like I would I would have to. I remember this one kid, Jeremy was his name, and he used to just irritate the living shit out of me. And I actually had to go to the teacher and be like, can you make sure that I don't sit next to Jeremy ever again? Because this is a problem for me. 
<laughs> so I was always I was always ready to go for like a, a institutional intervention as well, which I think made me very popular. I think people really liked that I would mm. always get oh, the yeah. teacher involved. People love it. shit. People love a fucking stinky, irritating narc. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's the cool. Yeah, shit that was right so there. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. It, I just drew a blank. Sorry. Go do it something. Vamp. It happens. <laughs> okay. Uh, so like, uh, my and like in school, I just wouldn't do any of the work. I just wouldn't do any of the homework, mm -hmm. particularly. Uh, which was another thing that it's kind of like, like, I blame my upbringing to a certain degree because there's a certain amount of like discipline that you have to instill in the child. The child yeah. doesn't come. Sounds with like the they didn't really equip you with a lot of that. They no, didn't like. You got to give the kid the discipline. Yeah. But then again, I was very resistant to the discipline, so I also kind of get them going like, I don't know, I can't. What do we even fucking do in this case? Right. Like, um. I remember one time I had a uh, I had to do a paper just like write you know like a fifth grade paper, so it's nothing right. It's really not much, mm -hmm. but I wasn't gonna fucking do it because it all seemed too hard because I had ADHD and couldn't break it into steps and it just seemed like an insurmountable yep. thing. Uh, and I remember just crying and crying and crying and my parents going like you have to do this or they're going to like hold you back like you're gonna fail english and you have to do the fifth grade again and you don't don't do this to yourself yeah just do the fucking paper and they eventually they pulled out the fucking video camera and started taping me having this meltdown uh do you still have that tape no i sincerely <sighs> wish i did because i would love to see it again uh but they did show it to people at parties sometimes they're like check this out <laughs> and i'm like What's how is in, that helping wait, anybody? In front of you, like they were. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. I saw them showing people the video. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That's pretty bad. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what that was supposed to accomplish for anybody. Was it supposed to shame me? I suppose it was supposed to shame me. Did it work? Like, not really. No, because <laughs> I, I still, I still will have little tantrums and be like, I don't want to. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, um, friend of the show, Andrew Hillary, has a similar mm -hmm. story of his, his like, he he actually still has the picture he sent it to me of, like, he was, like, crying okay. at his birthday and his dad took a picture of him just, like, just fully, like, eh, like yeah. at his own birthday party. Um, yeah. What I was going to say, though, is, like, school, especially, I think middle school is probably the worst that, for this because that's when you kind of start to transition from childhood into, like, adulthood high school mm -hmm. you know cliques and groups and bullies and jocks and all that stuff yeah um but there's like a pecking order and mm -hmm. you know i was probably in like the bottom third i would say of the pecking Same. order but like wasn't fully the bottom and like i think back on the kids who were like below me on it you know, there was this kid, Arthur, this poor fucking kid. He was like, he wasn't. That's my dead name. Do we go to the same school? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, uh, but he, he wore um, uh, like sports goggles all the time. Oh, fuck. And, um, and, and just was, 
extremely weird, just always had his mouth open, was just, you know, just, I don't think he was, like, in, like, special ed, like, he was in classes with all of us, but, like, seemed maybe developmentally not quite all there with us. Yeah. And then there was this other kid, Joe, who, like, I look back on it now, and I'm, like, it's so clear that he was just on the spectrum, like, pretty deep on the spectrum. And... And it's just so like, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't really bully them, uh, but the shit would roll downhill. And so like, I would participate in kind of group shunning and fucking with of these people and like, yeah, look at them. What what are they? Just a bunch of fucking losers. Not like me though. I'm cool. Not like you. I'm like you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fine. And, and so like, I don't, I think everybody kind of goes through that and, uh, figure, you know, finds their well, I mean, most people go through that. Like most people who are like in the lower echelons, the lower ranks of uh, the, the the popularity scale, like they have yeah. to sort of deal with how they how they treat people beneath them on the social totem pole, and um, it's not always good. And you know, it's not. Yeah. A, it's like it. And sometimes, like, like that's a thing that people have to reckon with later. Like. That like oh shit I turned around and fucking bullied people too, you know and right. and like what do you I don't know what do you do with that I, I guess you just have the, to uh, forgive yourself. Yeah, you that's that's of course in all of this stuff like any transgressions that you do especially before especially before you're fully you mm-hmm. do you know what I mean like before you're like legally responsible for yourself. <laughs> Uh, you got to just forgive the weird, dumb shit that you did when you were a kid because you didn't know any better. You mm-hmm. got to just forgive yourself for that kind of stuff. Um, so one of the things in the packet that we did that I because I sent back a pretty comprehensive you did. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. list of answers. I really had to think it through um, was about like encouragement to be involved with the arts. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that uh, manifested as in my family, I was uh, encouraged to work at the renaissance festival from like age seven onward wow um, okay so you got in there early yeah so like age seven would have, yeah it would have been 95 i started at the renaissance festival and i ended my career there in 06 um and it all started because my sister goes to this renaissance festival and we like we live in loveland and this is up in like waynesville ohio so it's about like 30 minutes north and uh, she drives out there with some friends one weekend and she's like, wow, this is the most fun. Uh, uh, Audrey's going to have an incredible time there. You got to take the kid to the Renaissance Festival. They're going to have a fucking awesome time. So I'm like seven years old and I go, OK, well, if we're going to go do this thing, because they explain what it was to me. And it's like it's a place where people pretend to be uh, like medieval times. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, OK, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Uh, I need a costume. Like, I'm not going to go if I'm not in a costume. Because, right. like, I want to pretend to be in the olden times, too. And so uh, they made me a little Robin Hood costume. And I'm there with my little my little hat. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And we go and we see the different stuff. We ride the rides. We watch the jousts. We do all the touristy stuff. And I'm like, that was pretty cool. But I wasn't really historically accurate, was I? <laughs> And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, um, Robin Hood wasn't seven, right? 
Like, I feel like I'm I'm not playing a realistic character if I'm going <laughs> to this thing and I'm Robin Hood, because Robin Hood wasn't seven years old. Was there anybody who, like, was seven years old that they know about that I could be? And so my dad does a little research, finds out that King James VI of Scotland was seven years old in uh, 1572, the year in which the Renaissance Festival is set in mm. Ohio. And so I go, oh, shit, a king? I could be a king? I want to be fucking King James VI of Scotland next time I go. I want to be King James VI, and I want to have a Scottish accent because I'm playing a Scottish character. Like, I was so into this idea that I was going to go and be a part of this thing. Right. But not even, like, thinking that I would go and genuinely be a part of it. I just thought I was just going to go to this thing and do the stuff. Right? Not be employed by it because I didn't even consider that. But um, they take me there. I watched Braveheart 700 times and I learned how to talk like with a Scottish accent a little bit, which I, that's like my, one of my weaker accents. Braveheart's now, a pretty like, intense movie for a seven year old, but yeah, I watched aliens when I was four, you know, <laughs> like they didn't give a shit. They just like put media in front of me. It didn't matter. Um, but like I practiced the Scottish accent. I got the little costume and I'm walking around and the actors are coming up to us and they're being like, oh, who's this little lord? And I'm like, uh, I'm King James VI of Scotland. And they're like, they would bow because they're like, oh, a <laughs> king. Oh, my God. I have to, you know, genuflect right. to this uh, royalty. And I remember being like, this is this is good. This I enjoy. Right. I like this quite a bit. Um, they actually, uh, the, I believe it was the people who were like playing the courtiers. I think it was like the court guild because obviously I'm playing court character. They come up to my folks and they go, hey, listen, you got to audition. You got to audition this kid because we we want this bad. Like, yeah. this is the coolest shit in the world. Seems like uh, you it. really applied yourself to this shit. You yeah. Method acting you and it. stuff like you were fully in. I was in and they were like, we got to have him. So um, they took me. I auditioned. And I, of course I got in. They're like, you know, it doesn't even matter if the kid's any good. The kid can wear the costume and do the accent. Yeah. That's what we want. And then by within two years of being there, I had speaking roles in like the gate ceremony. And yeah. like I was doing all kinds well, of Because you were like the Daniel Day Lewis of, <laughs> of, of children. Like, <laughs> of children. <laughs> I feel like this could be like a like a King of the Hill plot. Like this is like something that Bobby, like Bobby. Hill, yeah, he would like yeah, really, really get into it and like <laughs> and, and just like be running the Renaissance Festival within two years. Yeah. And I like I had like a choreographed fight the following year. Like I they were teaching me stage combat and Whoa. shit. And I was like, this is this is so cool. I want to go to fucking Juilliard and be an actor, is what I said when I was seven years old. <laughs> but I couldn't, I didn't do anything in school, right? Like I wasn't doing any schoolwork and I was like a stinky, you know, kid. But it worked for like the Renaissance era. Sure. <laughs> He's like, oh, they don't bathe here either. Everybody smells bad. This is, great. this is perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> um and I remember. I would tell everybody, like, I'm going to fucking Juilliard. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to go be an actor. I'm going to go be a serious actor. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day that dream died. I was, uh, I think I was like nine or 10. And I was getting ready to have to repeat a grade because I wouldn't do any work. They, I just, they could, nobody could get me to do any homework. 
So they had to score me a zero, which means they had to give me an F, which means they had to, you know, it's all these, like, if you won't do it, we have to do this. Yeah. Uh, And they took me into the office and they were like, listen, you want to go to Juilliard? Huh? You telling everybody you want to go be like a serious actor and you want to go through school? You have to do your schoolwork or you'll never get to do that. Right. And I, of course, went, well, I ain't doing my fucking schoolwork, so I guess I'm not going to be an actor. And I that, like that that's just, where you went with it. You were, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't a come to Jesus moment. It wasn't like, oh, no. yeah, I get, better was, get my shit I'm together. I'm not doing it. I better start I'm doing not. the homework then because Juilliard is actually a school. And right. yeah. I guess yeah. I, I got to get serious about school. But you right. were just like, no, fuck it. I guess, I guess that's not happening then. I guess that's not happening. It's like um, <laughs> when you see the poster in math class that shows all the careers that use math. What mm. am I ever going to use math for? Well, if you want to be a physicist and you want to work on rockets, you're going to have to learn how to get good at math. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as an intense discouragement for all of it. I'm like, well, I, God, I guess I can't be a, you know, scientist. I, cause I don't do, I don't want to do the math. Yeah. Like I, I always, I experienced all of these things as like, like realistically, I'm not going to do any of this shit. Realistically, <sighs> I'm not going to apply myself. Uh, so how could I ever dream to be anything, anything at all? And so, right. uh, became incredibly depressed. I remember that as like, like it's all sort of disjointed. Cause you know, like kid memories all happen sort of in like, a, like yeah. there's not like a linear timeline of when your memories happen. You just like, for me, it's like it's before vibes. 16 it's all, it's, and it's then a, yeah. post 16. Um, and somewhere in there, I remember experiencing real deep, like self-loathing for the first time, like genuinely mm. hating myself. This was pre-16. I, yeah. I think yeah. I was like seven years old. And I Jeez. remember sitting at the top of the playground, singing a little song called Nobody Loves Me. Ugh. And like, just, I don't remember the lyrics to it. I don't remember what it was. I was just sort of singing about how nobody likes me. And that I'm bad and stupid, right? And a teacher overhears me. And instead of coming over to me and being like, what's wrong? (laughs) She said, nobody wants to be a part of your pity party. Knock it off. (laughs) And I was, so I did. I remember like going, okay. And then just like crying the whole rest of the day, just like. Spending the whole rest of the day uh, uh, on the verge of tears or crying. Because, mm-hmm. like, what else can you do? I can't I can't express that I am uh, a piece of shit and that nobody likes me because nobody wants to be part of my pity party. Right. Uh, all I can do is just internalize it and hold it, like, deep here, like, down in my you soul. You learned a valuable lesson that day of bodily shit up, <laughs> keeping all the toxins inside of you. Yeah, yes. It's good. Yes. It's good. And it's it's Very still an instinct I have. Still an instinct I have, you know, to this day. I have a hard time letting shit out. <clears throat> or asking for help, particularly. Yeah, that's a big one. That's really that's hard. So Feeling hard. like a burden. Um, yeah. I... Uh, you know, I mean, I run a fucking podcast about mental health and like I'm a big advocate of therapy and all of that stuff. And yet mm-hmm. when I'm going through shit, like nobody knows. 
because yeah. I don't, I don't reach out to like, I, the idea of like sending my friends like a text, like, Hey, uh, I'm feeling, you know, lonely. I'm feeling, you know, mm-hmm. sad or anxious or whatever. Like, no way. Can't do it. Can't do no, it. No. Can't even put my, put myself in that headspace. Like yeah. I just have to like let them kind of figure it out from, from context yeah. clues or, or like the, you know, just my, my tweets are particularly dark and hope that somebody <laughs> cares to ask. Yeah. But they don't really, because, you know, like if you present the face of like, I'm fine, then you most don't really give yeah, people pe- the opportunity yeah, to be helpful to you. Because they're like, yeah, okay, so they're fine. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fine, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, this happened to me fucking yesterday. And this is this is a thing that happens to me in my work uh, with some regularity. Um, I work in furniture sales. And there will typically be, like, a lot of us available on the floor, especially on, like, a Saturday, which yesterday was a Saturday. And I am not particularly aggressive in tracking down and, like, asserting that I will help you to customers. Mm -hmm. Something of a weakness of mine as a salesperson. I kind of, like, give out the vibe that I want to be helpful and just hang out near sofas where people are sitting and hopefully they go, I have a question, right? Sure. I don't really, I do walk up, but not as much as some people. And this happens with some regularity where everyone else, every one of my coworkers will be helping a couple or a family pick out a sofa and I will have no one. Yeah. And I will be like, why am I so fucking bad at this that everyone else has a customer they're working with and I don't have a customer I'm working with? And then that goes to... I have a partner who lives 2,400 miles away from me, but she has like five partners and I don't have anybody who puts me first. I can't do anything. I am so, uh, I just get spirally about shit like that. It all starts You start singing the song from middle school again. Yeah, I'm singing the song again. Um, And it just so happened that yesterday this happened to where everybody had a customer but me. And then I checked the tweets and there's somebody that I have a horrible crush on, uh, and she's, uh, you know, having a great time going places and doing things. And I'm sitting there in my workplace, not feeling competent or adequate. And I'm like, oh, oh, fuck, I'm the worst. It's bad. And I start to like clam up and tear up and like isolate myself from my coworkers when they're not with customers. Right. Coworker of mine comes up and she goes, hey, are you okay? And I go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like grimace. And she goes, you're not. What's up? And she has to like drag it out of me. Right. But this happens. This happens so often to me. Like I'm so I'm so able to spiral. Mm-hmm. And I uh, wish that I uh, didn't do that anymore. But I, I'm uh, I'm in therapy, which is a good thing. I'm yeah. I'm finally I'm seeing a dialectical behavioral therapist. That's a good one. Yeah, seems pretty good. Rational mind, mm-hmm. you know. You got you got your emotional mind. You have your uh, uh, completely rational mind, and then you have the wise mind that synthesizes mm-hmm. the two. Okay, cool. Wise mind sounds good. Why wise mind? mind knows that I do have customers, and I actually do have a pretty respectable sales per hour rate and shit. Like I'm like I do my job pretty well, but like emotional mind is like you don't have anybody to work with right now. You're trash. Right. I don't know. It's hard when um 
when do you feel like uh, like serious diagnosable um, depression and you have bipolar as well, correct? Yeah, bipolar. Um, when when did all of that start to to come to a head, and and when did you get into therapy for that? Uh gosh, um, it's probably college. Mm-hmm. Um, my particular flavor of bipolar disorder, you end up down for a very long time. You'll have long stretches of depression followed by very pronounced periods of mania. Um, and before the mania starts to become psychotic, it's just kind of like, oh, wow, you're having a great time. You're, you know, full of energy. You're getting a lot of shit done. Um, but most of the time, just pretty depressed. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was um, my girlfriend, the one who... Uh, got me to get my GED and everything. Uh, she says to me one time, she's like, are you depressed? I'm like, um, maybe. And she goes, do you feel sad a lot? And I'm like, well, yeah. Doesn't everybody? Like, look at the world. It's like, it's a yeah. nightmare out there. Like, why wouldn't you be sad all the time? And she's like, have you considered getting into therapy? And I was like, well, I did therapy when I was a kid which I had actually, I had seen a therapist when I was like seven or eight for a lot of the same shit, but it feels like, you know, that felt like a really distant, useless memory. Like nothing ever came of it. I didn't feel like I learned anything from it. And so I was like, I don't know. I can't get into therapy. Why would I get into therapy? They're going to put me on drugs that are going to take me away from who I am. Mm. You know, uh, a lot of that sort of like anti, uh, anti-medication thought. I had a lot of that, but, um, one day I'm coming out of class and I, you know, I'm in college kind of by the skin of my teeth. Like I'm doing not great in classes. I'm finally doing homework for the first time in my life, but so not wait, sorry, well. you, you ended up graduating or you, you dropped out oh, and got, I got a my, GED later, dropped out and got my good enough diploma in high school. <laughs> right. So this would have been, um, Maybe sophomore, junior year of college. Okay. Um, I'm at the Ohio State University. And I went from being, you know, stinky, depressed child. I'm currently stinky, depressed adult. (laughs) And I'm walking out of a classroom. And I just, I looked haggard. I know I did. I had like the dysphoria hoodie on, which we ain't even talking about gender yet. God damn. We'll get there. We'll get Um, there. We'll get there. Uh I'm wearing the dysphoria hoodie and I'm walking out of class and I'm just like beat like dead done for. And apparently it's world mental health day (laughs) because this like volunteer standing there with a bucket full of rubber ducks, like makes eye contact with me and I look up at them and like, I almost cry (laughs) like seeing cause they're like, they looked concerned for me. Right. See, this is a thing I've, this has happened to me before. Yeah. I just want to isolate this moment because there are periods where you feel so fucking just lost and down in the dumps and yeah. just invisible that yeah. the first time that anybody even like directs some sort of like kindness or tenderness or anything your way it's just like this floodgate. Like I've had this yeah. happen to me before. Like this happened sometime in my twenties. I was like at a doctor's office and it was, you know, like I was dirt poor and really depressed and, you know, just, just going from like shitty doctor to shitty doctor, like trying to find whatever I could 
trying to find whatever kind of healthcare I could get. Uh, and this was like the first time that I'd like gone. I don't even remember what it was. It was, it was something fairly routine, you know, but like, I was like, yeah, this has been hurting. Like this is, you know, uh, I, I finally decided to just bite the bullet and just, just get my ass to the doctor about that. And the like nurse, like the intake nurse was just like, Oh, sorry, sweetie. Like that's, that looks really like, that's really, yeah. And just like, just finally them like showing some like concern and kindness yeah. and like, like I mattered was just this huge yeah. thing. Anyway. So they handed you a rubber ducky. He hands me the rubber ducky and he kind of smiles at me mm-hmm. and I look at it and it has the campus mental health hotline like written on the side of the duck and I take it home and I sit down for dinner or whatever. Like I get home from classes. I set my shit down. I sit down and on the couch next to my partner and I hold it up to her and I go, look, and she's like, yeah, you, they, they clocked you. She said <laughs> they knew you, they could see you're depressed. I know you're depressed. Please do something about right. it. It's starting to fuck with me. You were like, well, could a depressed person do this? And you just gesture towards a bunch of unop- unopened mail on the coffee table. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I made a sculpture. So. Check it out. Found object. <laughs> I'm doing baby. good. Look at all the ramen all over the stove. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing great, baby. I'm, I'm really killing it. And so she uh, um, encouraged me to get into therapy. And I got some prescribed Celexa for the first time. And I remember... Like, not feeling that different, but feeling less, it felt less like a razor blade being dragged across my soul all the time. Mm -hmm. I still felt pretty down because I was in a program that I really had no passion for and was having to do work in a field that I, like, wasn't particularly passionate about. I pursued a degree in history because that's what I thought my father should have done and i was like i'm gonna do what my dad should have done that's a good place for like really smart people who don't quite know what to do you know like that's mm-hmm. this, yeah yeah that makes it's sense. like an english degree yeah it's a lot like an english degree uh so i'm like in the humanities but like i probably should have been pursuing i should I probably should have been fucking trade school if i'm gonna be perfectly honest mm-hmm. i should have learned to be an electrician or some shit yep um but like she, so, like, I'm in therapy, I'm in, I've got Celexa for the first time, and then my relationship starts to fall apart with my partner. Like, things are just, like, getting worse and worse between us. We're just arguing constantly, screaming at each other and shit. And so she's like, we got to go to couples therapy. And, like, I the only thing I really remember from couples therapy is one time I'm, like, still, like... The razor blade feeling isn't quite in my soul as hard anymore because I'm on Selexa, but like, or no, do I have the timeline wrong? I might have started therapy, individual therapy, after we did couples therapy. Right. Because I remember sitting in therapy talking about how depressed and sad I was and how um, couples therapy, I'm sitting in couples therapy talking about how awful I feel. And they go, um, how do they put it? I was like, well, I mean, there are people suffering and dying all over the world. Why do I deserve to be happy? <laughs> right. And they, they're they like, you're depressed. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to take responsibility for that. Um, but yeah, we did couples therapy and that didn't end up working. And I ended up uh, fucking around on her. And uh, I like I hooked up with this guy a couple times. And then he offered me a place to stay. 
he was like, you know, you could move out of your girlfriend's place and come stay with me. And I was like, say word. Okay, cool. I can escape. I can escape this thing that felt bad. I was in a situation that felt bad all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I went and uh, lived in the flop house. Uh, I think I mentioned the flop house, didn't I? I don't know if you mentioned the flop house. Okay. So I'm like living in the basement of this house with like six or seven people. We're not like nobody's paying rent. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's uh, kind of paradise, actually, when you're like. When you're like 24, no, like I think I was like 22, 23, and you're trying to be a DJ, yeah, uh, living in a house full of other DJs and music producers with no adult supervision, just like high as hell all the time, mm-hmm. kind of paradise. Uh, but I still, I think back on fucking around on her as like a major, major turning point in my life. Like that decision changed my trajectory quite a bit because I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be a history professor. Right. I was supposed to have some kids. I was supposed to do all kinds of shit. None of that shit happened. Right. But uh, in some other alternate universe, maybe there's a version of me that uh, never figured out I was a girl and uh, is less happy for it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, from a young age, seems like you you wanted a girlfriend. You were mostly, mm-hmm. were you mostly friends with girls? I mean, it sounds like you didn't yeah. have a whole lot of friends. Not a ton, um, but like the people that would hang out with me were the girls and we would, you know, you play make believe and shit. Mm-hmm. And that was always way more interesting than sports. Yeah. Or like playing four square or whatever. I didn't give a shit about that. But like pretending to be a cat on the playground with a bunch of other girls. That's pretty good. When did you put kind of two and two together and, and realize that this was maybe something deeper than just it, you know, I like hanging out with girls. <laughs> yeah. It had to be, like, lockdown year. It had to be 2020 before yeah. I finally figured out what the fuck was going on with my gender. Um, because, I don't know, do you remember on Facebook there was the big trend of posting your face app gender swap picture? Yeah. Like, right, like right before and, like, right at the beginning of the pandemic? Mm-hmm. I had a big dysphoria beard. And I took my face app picture and I like I take the picture. I see myself as a girl, but there's this like weird shadow around my face because the AI can't really render the beard out entirely. And so um, like I see myself as a feminine presence for the first time and I go. Hold on. And I go in the bathroom and I shave my beard off. This is a beard that I'd had for years. And I shave my beard off. I take the face app picture again. And I see myself again more accurately. And then I went, wait, why the fuck did I just do that? Like, what in me was like, I have to I have to see myself more clearly as a girl right now. Right. Um, and that sort of, that broke the dam. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, um, like I found myself following a lot of trans femmes on social media and mm-hmm. like just being like, yeah, I think they're neat. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of, you know, hey, they're funny. You know, they're, you know, it's cool. Or like watching ContraPoints videos and literally thinking to yourself almost out loud, wow, I wish I was trans. Yeah. And you just start to put two and two <clears throat> together, but it's like you have to, it's like you're looking for permission in a lot of ways, like 
Because, like, you understand, like, gender dysphoria is understood as, like, this thing that you have to be diagnosed with. Like, in a lot of ways, or at least that's how I conceptualized it for a long time. Like, you have, like, somebody has to tell you you have gender dysphoria. Nobody ever told me I had gender dysphoria because I never really expressed any. Uh, and nor did I feel that much, I don't think. Right. But, like... <clears throat> It sounds like the, the the depression, like the dysphoria hoodie and the dysphoria beard were also mm -hmm. kind of a depression hoodie and a depression beard. So like, they, yes. it, it's like easy to miss it. Yeah, I think it was it was something that I sidestepped for a long time. It was something that um, actually college girlfriend, the one I fucked around on, uh, no scoped in me from a decade before I figured it out. Um, we went to a panel on trans identity mm -hmm. and uh, there's just these... Uh, trans women talking about their uh, experiences with gender dysphoria and figuring out who they are. We get back from the thing. We're sitting on the couch. She says to me, Hey, what's your gender? And I go, I'm a guy. I'm like a guy. <laughs> and she's like, okay, what, what makes you say that? What makes you say you're a guy? And I'm like, well, I'm six feet tall. I got a deep voice. I got big hands and big shoulders. Right. And she goes, Okay, but really think about that. What makes you think you're a guy? And I go, well, it's I've never felt attached to a masculine identity even for a minute of my life, and yet here I am, six foot tall, big hands, deep voice, and that's how it is. That's what it is. Right. He goes, okay, okay, fine. Uh, and then 10 years later, I found a website called turnmeintoagirl.com. I think it's still up. I just want to check real quick so that like you can find out. Turn me yeah, I want to see this. A girl .com. Are you still around? Oh, yeah. Okay. Turn me into still a girl.com. Fear doesn't have to stop you from living your best self, living yeah. as your best self. Are you ready to do this? And there's a little button that says, Turn me into a girl. If you click that button, a little bar starts to fill up. Mm -hmm. And it says, Think about why you just pressed that button. And you're like, Well, I guess I have never felt attached to a masculine identity. I've always spent more time socializing with girls. And I used to think about what it would be like to wear a dress to work. And I guess I pressed it because maybe I always have been. And it goes, ding, <laughs> the bar fills up. So you spend this time thinking about it. Right. The bar fills up and it says, hey, guess what? You're a girl. <laughs> and you go, oh, that's all it takes. And there's literally, it's like, yep, that's all it takes uh, is conceptualizing yourself as such. And if you ever decide that you aren't, then you aren't. And this, it's like gives you this permission. And I'm like, okay. And as soon as I, as soon as I had permission from myself and from the universe and from like, as soon as I was able to give myself that permission, I was like off to the races. I'm like buying clothes. I'm like wearing them in private and I'm changing my name on various like anonymous social media mm -hmm. platforms where I'm like posting not as myself, but as just like a poster um, talking to people in chat rooms. And I'm like, wow, I so feel you did, you did kind of like a soft open of. of yeah, of I did transition. like a soft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did the, the soft launch and I remember feeling an incredible gender euphoria that I had never considered was a possibility. I mm -hmm. felt excited to be 
the gender that I now was in a way that like masculinity never felt exciting or interesting or yeah. it just, it felt like just the default and like what I was or what was given to me, what I was assigned to me at birth. Um, that never really fit. And the most gender dysphoria I've ever experienced is now being misgendered. Like I never, like I, I guess I can't say never. I don't remember feeling too often that I was like that classic, oh, I'm a woman in a man's body. I never, mm -hmm. like that feeling never really came up. But as soon as I started conceptualizing myself as a woman, the idea that I would be considered anything else became painful. Hmm. So it's like, I always, I describe it as like chasing euphoria more than escaping dysphoria. I see. Yeah. When, when you kind of, can you sort of put into words what the feelings of euphoria and dysphoria feel like? Like if you had to sort of quantify it for somebody who okay. might be listening and they're like, what does that mean? Gender dysphoria, gender euphoria. Sure. It's just like that feeling of like the first time, like it's almost like riding a roller coaster. It's just excitement. It's mm -hmm. like, like a real, like, especially for somebody like experiencing gender euphoria in a gender that isn't the one they were assigned at birth, you're going to feel a little afraid. You're going to be like, this is a little, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. I don't know if this is like, it feels like a taboo thing almost. Um, and then like dysphoria just feels like it's like a disappointment. You just feel like it just feels bad. You just don't feel good about being called that or having that expected of you or wearing whatever it is that's giving you the gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Um, I have discovered that it's really funny. I uh, switched to feminine undergarments as part of my gender transition. And then to wear more feminine outerwear, I wear more masculine underwear because it keeps my thighs from chafing. I think it's really funny to wear, like I went from wearing boxer briefs as the default to wearing panties as the default. And, but then when I wear a dress, I wear boxer briefs because it's better at like, I don't know. I just think that's a funny, like an ironic thing. Yeah, like I go back to wearing masculine underwear to wear more <laughs> feminine outer garments. Isn't that weird? So like pre-transition, you'd never really like experimented with just like, I'll just paint my nails or I'll just I'll just put on some lipstick just as a goof. No, no big deal. It, no. It just never I mean, like thing. as like a little kid. Right. Like, you know, you're left alone and you go into your mom's fucking uh, closet and you're like, what are these? And you put on heels. And you're like walking around in the heels and you like feel something deep in the pit of your stomach that you can't really identify. Uh, but it's there. And then you just kind of lock it away. You're like, I don't know. I can't I can't fuck with that. Right. Because that'll be dangerous and weird. And like people will think poorly of me. Yeah. Um, or like. What's the other one? Oh, I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll really bad because I wanted to be a mother. Mm. <laughs> I had like a really strong uh, instinct to like raise offspring as a mother. Like I remember in some of my make-believe play, uh, I wanted to breastfeed. And I remember the one of the girls I was playing with was like, you can't breastfeed, you're a boy. And I was like, boys have breasts. Why not? Why can't I breastfeed? 
huh? Right. They're called breasts, right? And she's like, that's not how that works. You don't have the right stuff. Turns out you just got to put a little estrogen in there and uh, get the right hormones going. And yes, yes, I can, Jessica. Yeah. I could lactate. There's a world where that's possible. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's like not knowing, like you don't, like you don't know. There's like, it's like a secret from yourself mm -hmm. for forever. Oh, that's funny. There's a Katie tight pussy tweet on this turn me into a girl.com website. That's really funny. Um, where you like, it's a secret that you like from yourself. You can't understand what the fuck it is until you give yourself the permission to look back and understand the things that were dysphoria and to be excited to find the new things that are euphoria. How did and, like, people novelty? How did people, um, receive your transition it has been nothing but people being stoked for me which has been i've been so lucky like there are so many people that like come out and never like you know like their fucking parents disown them and shit and they yeah. like lose their home and it's like awful it's like misery um but like i kind of did it all at once mm -hmm. um i <laughs> this is kind of fucked up. I was in the middle of a manic episode and I kind of like kick my parents door open a little bit. Like I just like throw their door open to their bedroom and go, Hey, guess what? I'm a girl. Um, always have been always will be. And, uh, I just thought I should, uh, let you guys know that. So yeah, enjoy. Have a great day. They were like, what the fuck? Like, cause they knew I was manic. They knew right. I was like having a, a, a time. And they were like, uh, you, so you could have called first. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> right um but they were like oh, that's you know surely that's the mania talking they don't really mean that right and i ended up i ended up in a psychiatric hospital um a few like maybe a week after that yeah and so right it's I, hard to be like it's hard to make that like yeah. a credible you know right. decision at that point where you're yeah. like oh this is i said this like a week before i got vanned <laughs> i got i got vanned hard yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I call from the psych hospital and I go, Hey mom, it's me, your, your child. And she goes, how are you? And I said, uh, no longer psychotic, still trans. <laughs> and, uh, she goes, okay. And I could tell she was like mix of relieved and now this thing, like right. now we got to get through this. Um, when I got out of the psychiatric hospital, I gave it maybe a week before I went to social media to be like, okay, wider audience. I am now, I'm feminine. Right. Uh, did you announce on social media that you had been hospitalized too, or was that? No, did people no, no, know? no, 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 Okay. No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I tend to keep that one close to the chest sure. a little bit. Uh, Cause like people, there's, there's a big stigma around mental illness and mm -hmm. neurodivergence but like less so all the time. But if you tell people that you crashed your car while you were manic, they still have feelings about that. There's yeah, still some still stigma around. Yeah. 
still a lot for people. And yeah, so I, I didn't really like the one-two punch that would be hard to manage on social media. You'd have to have, you know, like I'm I'm back, I'm okay, I was out of the hot. But then you'd have to probably have like a few like I am a very normal, cool person post before you do the the transition announcement yeah exactly here's me just being like here's a just a disaster. food pick here's just me being really boring and just like ever i'm fine i'm fine I'm fine and then hit him with the hit him with the transition yeah it's funny actually um i don't have a whole ton of people in my personal life who are listeners to the show so it's a little bit like um there's like a separation between mm-hmm. my personal life and the podcast world and I did talk a little bit about like there's a preamble to an episode that I did for our Patreon uh, where I basically explain I'm going to be away for a little while. Um, I'm taking a step back from the show for my mental health. Treat your mental illnesses with care and take care of yourselves and don't, you know, do do things that are good for you. Don't trigger your mental illnesses. Right. Please. Uh, and then a couple weeks after that, I did, um, the social media post on Facebook for my personal audience. So like there could have been like the people who knew the show and knew me in my personal life could have had the, like, oh, she figured out she was a girl in the midst of a manic episode. Like you could have sleuthed that together, but most of the people, uh, uh, didn't have that. That's experience. <laughs> Uh, I remember I got it's like the most likes I've ever got on a social media post uh, in my personal life uh, when I came out as trans. So you're just doing all of this for clout is what you're saying. Yeah, it's 100 percent of clout chasing. I'm a transgender trans trender for sure. Uh, (laughs) I'm an AGP. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like. I'm trying to think. About how to put this. Because, like, it has been, it's been good for my brand, oddly enough. Like, Mm. people dig that I am an out trans woman. There are, like, I read posts all the time that are, like, girls who don't do vocal training are a special kind of cool. And you're Mm. like, okay, cool. Yeah, I kind of still have a masculine voice, but I'm a woman. Isn't that cool? And it's like, you become a part of this other thing that has, that you just weren't, that just wasn't your world. And then you gain this whole new world. And it's uh, it's just cool to be part of like a big fucking sisterhood of weird asses. Like I'm just really grateful for the online community of trans women that I am now a part of. And then like people will tell me I'm an inspiration. I'd like Whoa. somebody like people wrote people write in with some regularity and be like, hey, you inspired me to start my transition. And I'm like, wow, wow, you're listening to me that closely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That must be like an incredible feeling. And that's, you know, yeah, that's that's the, the dream of any podcaster is is for somebody, even for somebody to just approach them and be like, hey, I listened to your podcast. Like even that yeah. is just like, oh, really? Because like you, you feel so you feel so lo- so often that you're just like shouting into the void. Mm-hmm. Um, but to to really have somebody come to you and, and, and say that you've like made a difference in their life yeah. is, is like, that's incredible. That's huge. Yeah. People have written in to say that I inspired their gender transition. People wrote in and said that we saved their marriage. Wow. And it's like, okay, I guess we'll keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really yeah. great show. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad really it's, it's, it's going strong. Um, I guess we should wrap up. We're, we're, we're going, 
Yeah, this is kind of a long one. Um, but I feel like we could we could also keep going. So maybe I'll I'll have you okay. back on at some point. I mean, point. I'm, so, it's up to you. I got I got no timeline today. I'm completely wide open. Yeah, I don't um, know. Um, yeah, we could we could keep talking for a bit if you want. Um, yeah, yeah. So what what I wanted to ask about was like in terms of um, you know being misgendered and the like the concept of passing, but also mm-hmm. like. You are six feet tall. You have big shoulders, yeah. big hands, and like you, you haven't really like, you know, you, you're not doing like the vocal training thing to like yeah. like super feminize your voice, and like a lot of people are doing that, and like, I I actually wasn't super familiar with the concept of that. Like it wasn't until like I started listening to like uh, what's it called? Well, there's your problem, and I think one of the hosts, uh, Alice, I think, like she, yeah, she, has, she has like or a very November now, I think, yeah, very think like masculine. November you know, a deep voice, um, mm-hmm. but is, is, you know, she, her, um, but like, that seems like, I don't know how to ask, like, but like, how, um, do you deal with like presenting your gender expression the way you want to, even if it is out of alignment with, you know, the, the, the mainstream perception yeah. of like how a woman acts and what a woman looks like. Yeah. The wider perceptions of femininity. Right. Yeah. Like I think with everybody in gender transition, you have to, you make these decisions all the time about what shit you're going to do and what shit you're not going to do. Like, um, sometimes I wear makeup. Sometimes I don't, I'm not wearing any right now. Like, you know, nobody can see me on the show. So what the fuck? I don't need to <laughs> True. pretty right. up too much. Um, my, I use my voice for these creative projects, but like, I don't know. It's almost like I want to be recognized as like having like a through line from before into now. Like I, my, I think I have a great voice. You do. Uh, and I don't want to necessarily change it too much though i have been considering vocal training because i'm tired of being fucking misgendered particularly on the phone at work Mm. that sucks so bad uh when you're like uh thank you for calling the unnamed retail establishment my name is audrey how can i help you and they go well sir i need the and it's like i just said my name is audrey like i know that there could be a dude named audrey but like just take take the thing that i've given you and use it as a context clue like um i wear i'm more often than a lot of cis women that I know, I wear skirts and dresses because like, I feel like I want to give off. So like you're picking the things that you want to do, the things you don't want to do. One of the things I want to do is uh, present an outwardly feminine thing to whatever degree I feel capable of. Like I want to go as femme as I can. Uh, Like I could do vocal training, but like right now it's expensive and uh, like a pain in my ass and I don't feel like doing it. But like the way I like to do it is you put forward as much as you feel that you can or as much as you want to. And I've essentially given you the clues that you need to uh, successfully gender me correctly. Like, uh, You know, I walk up to you at the furniture store and I'm wearing a dress and I have a name tag. This is Audrey and my hair is long and actually in better shape than it is uh, right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or like in a hair, like um, I wear a lot of headbands, like feminine things. I'm doing feminine stuff. And then I walk up to you and I say, hello, is, you know, is there anything I can help you with? You look at me, take those fucking clues 
that I've given you, the dress, the hair, the name tag, and add them up into gendering me correctly. Right. Um, and like that equation is different for everybody because there are some people who dress fairly masculine still and don't do the vocal training and just change their name. Yeah. That's, you know, a valid form of transition. You can absolutely do it that way. Uh, you will probably be misgendered more often and has more of a struggle to like have people gender you correctly if you don't take the steps to present that way. Yeah. It is, however, perfectly valid to want to be gendered correctly, even if you don't put forth those steps. So if there's like that equation adds up differently for everybody, but the answer should always be call people what they want to be called. Yeah. You may you may have to like be more direct about the way that you present that. Cause I'm sort of like like I was describing it, it's like I'm giving you clues, right? I'm giving you context mm -hmm. clues on how to gender me correctly. You may have to wear a pronoun pin if you um, don't present that way. You know what I mean? Right, like if right. you want to be gendered correctly. Or if you're like uh, and that isn't particularly like androgynous or, or something. Sure. Then, you know, but you have a particular gender identity that you want to go that with and would, be addressed. That by, you right? want to be perceived as um, or at least... Um, referred to as right yeah. even if you're not perceived as it and that's not to say that you don't deserve that if you don't present feminine in that way you have you of course deserve to be gendered correctly but like it's harder if you don't give people the opportunity to like sense it ahead of time mm -hmm. do you know what i'm saying so like passing is a really fraught topic yeah and like it's really difficult to talk about. And I feel like I just did an okay job. I think it. you're doing a like, great job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I appreciate that's, you. Thank that's you. perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... It, it, passing is just another form of gender expression. It's just a wider sure. spectrum of the gender expression that we all do, you know, whether we're cis or trans. Like me as a cis male, I can choose to be like, I can choose to dress masculinely in a like suit and tie guy and like be like yeah. real dandy and have cufflinks and shit. Or I can be like workwear and, and like Carhartts and, and, and right. Timberlands and shit. Yeah. There's different ways of presenting or I could be like dress like Adam Sandler, you know, like I could be like the full, just like, just like real like basketball shorts, you know, like whatever, like there's different ways. It's just whatever makes you feel good and like well, it, you know yeah. like when, when i asked you like what is gender dysphoria what is gender euphoria feel like i mean i kind of like i already kind of know the answer but i like hearing mm -hmm. other people yeah. you know explain it and and like the explanation to me is just like what is it that makes you like when you know that meme of like guys will see this and just think hell yeah hell yeah like yeah. that's like that's gender euphoria right there 100%, if you see yeah. a bunch of dudes like kicking a big boulder off of a off of a cliff and like cheering as it goes down or breaking a big piece of ice and you're like yeah like that's Dude's your gender euphoria. gender euphoria dude rock is 100 yeah, percent gender euphoria so like it's it's just that it's it's just whatever it is that like hits you on some primal level that like this right. is this is answering something primal in me and I think a lot of it has to do with like connection to the wider community of people who identify with that gender. Mm -hmm. Like when you feel like 
when I, as a woman, feel most closely connected with women, that's one of the times that I have gender euphoria. Like the way, the way in which um, women will like let me in now yeah. to like personal shit. Like more, like people tell me about their periods now. Yeah. Never would have told me that when I was. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. these intimate, these one intimate of the moments nicest of like being that... accepted into the sisterhood. That's gender euphoria. Too. When I That's when I cute. have like known people who transition and like one of the most like exciting things I think like that I see for them is like when they just start surveying like say they're like a, a trans woman, trans feminine, and they start like getting fashion and makeup tips from yes. girls in their life and like the like their like girlfriends are like excited to like help them out and just like, Oh yeah, come over. We'll do a thing. We'll go to, we'll go to Sephora. It's going to be great. Like that to me is just like, so just wholesome and beautiful and fucking nice. Three, the three words that every trans girl wants to hear. We're going shopping. (laughs) Oh, it's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like, can conversely like trans mask dudes, like, when you know they want to like go ride an ATV or chop wood or yeah. some shit like that, like with their boys, then like that shit rocks. To be excited to like be part of the fellas when you've never been yes. really like a part of the fellas, and now you're like accepted into this tribe, and like hell yeah, that's great. Yeah. Another thing that I think is an important part of gender euphoria to me is when you experience a traditionally feminine thing that is a difficulty or a hardship as something that is affirming. Mm -hmm. Like I got mansplained at the Best Buy and was like, hell yeah, this rocks. (laughs) (laughs) I I went to buy a uh, Bluetooth transmitter and I'm like, hey, uh, where are the Bluetooth transmitters? And he goes, what are you using it for? I go, "Um, I want to connect my PlayStation 4 controller to my PC. Uh, It won't work. Wrong firmware. And I go, I have a, I have firmware for it. I've downloaded the drivers and everything. It's like, nah, it won't work. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You think I'm just a dumb girl. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of feels good. Also sucks, but kind of feels good. Excited for you to go get catcalled and like all of that stuff. It's just going to be great. Oh man. I was, um, I was on a date with this guy and we're walking back to my car. He's walking me to my car. And I'm wearing these tiny little yellow shorts. And I hear someone from a car yell, she ought to be downtown. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Good. Like, you'll, you'll get paid less than your coworkers and everything. Yeah. And like, that's going to be a good it's one. It's awesome. I'm so stoked. And that's the other thing, especially for like trans femmes. It's like knowing all of these things that will be more difficult for you mm-hmm. because of the way our society is run. And still being excited to be feminine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm always still looking for validation because uh, uh, validation comes from the outside for me. I can't make it on the inside. Um, yeah. So I'm always looking for ways to to validate my gender in that way. I and, think looking uh, for validation is perfectly fine. So long as you don't go overboard with it or put too much stock mm-hmm. in it, I don't think that that's a bad thing. In fact, I think that's it fair. can be like if you're... If you're just getting like a healthy amount of it, you know, you, you treat mm-hmm. it like like sweets or something, you know, where you're sure. like, not this won't be the only thing I eat, but I do like a nice, you know, like a, a Tony's Chocolate Only, like just a real nice rich chocolate milk chocolate. <laughs> Have you ever had Tony's Chocolate Only? 
No. It's a terrible name for a chocolate bar. It's a stupid ass name and like spelled really weird, but like I'll send you a link. It's if you ever see this shit, it's usually in like fancy bodegas or like a nicer okay. grocery store. It's some like, you know, slavery free, free trade chocolate or okay. fair trade chocolates, like ethically made as you can. Yeah. As ethically made as you can make shit. As like anything that, but, can be made under capitalism. But uh, it is off the chain. That chocolate is okay. so fucking crazy. <laughs> it's me. insane. But anyway, treating it like that, where like, a little bit of validation, like so, you know, like looking for some likes on like a thirst trap or whatever, or like wanting to like oh, be yeah. complimented, wanting wanting somebody to compliment your outfit, wanting somebody to like notice your hair or, or like whatever, or like even if you're not gonna like, even if nothing's gonna come of it, just like just this person thinks I'm hot and that's great, yeah. like feels good. Like what? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Like anything that can like boost your mental health a little bit, so long as that's not the only thing that you're that you care about or the only thing that you yeah. are receiving any self-worth from like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I, I think we will take it. I think we pathologize, um, seeking external validation to a little too much. I think we, uh, kind of, we have this, you know, this awareness of, of like, social media and selfie culture that we think that it's like it's super bad to want that but i i don't really think that it's that big of a deal if you're feeling yeah. if you're feeling cute if you're feeling yourself and and you want to like tell the world about it i think that's a i think that's good and i don't think that yeah, that's like same. vain or self-involved or anything like yeah. that it's it's not a bad instinct to look for it's not a bad instinct to look for validation. It's yeah. Just, I mean, we yeah, are social good. creatures. Um, yeah, we need that. I wanted to ask a little bit about like uh, workplace stuff and, and you know, like we won't be like specific about like where it is you work and everything, sure. but the unnamed um, retail establishment, the unnamed real retail establishment. Like, so like a big thing about like what we talk about here is, you know, day jobs and uh you know having to just sort of participate in uh capitalism even if you don't really believe in it or want to and sure. uh here we are you know and yeah. and especially like for somebody like you who kind of like you grew up not really giving a shit about school not knowing where to apply yeah. yourself and you know uh finding it hard to find a thing that you're both good at and excited about and will get paid for like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and where you end up in the, in the workplace. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I like have, I had experience working retail cause I started at grocery stores when I was like 17. Cause it's like a lot of people's first job is just like pushing carts at the Kroger. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I did that and then I went to school and then I got out of school and I didn't have any experience. I didn't have, like I dropped out of college. I didn't end up getting the degree. So I'm like, well, fuck, what do you do? And I worked in bars for a while, but like the hours sucked. And like, I hated being out all night. Like mm -hmm. I, if I want to be up late, I want to be doing something fun. I don't want to be up late working. Uh, so I went back to working at a Kroger when I was like 24 or so. And I was like, there has to be a better version of this. Um, but I couldn't really think to apply myself because like I always have a hard time figuring on 
who would even who would even take me to do anything for them? I I just have a hard time conceptualizing of that. So I actually um, I had accrued some medical debt that ended up at a collections agency. The collections agency calls me up and they go, "Hey, pay us this money, shitter," and I'm like, uh, "I don't have any because I don't have a job." And they go, "Well, just so happens." we have a program where we will write you a resume and get you a job so that you can pay back your debt. Hmm. I go, well, that sounds okay. Cause I had no motivation <laughs> right. to like get a job or anything. I was living at my mama's house, just like cold lamping, you know, drinking too much and hanging out. Right. And so they write me the resume. They get me a, uh, an interview at Kohl's mm -hmm. where I worked for seven fucking years. Yeesh. Uh, and I started at $9 an hour and I ended at $12.30 an hour hey, in seven years. <laughs> yeah. Moving up that ladder. Woo! Hustle. Really making moves. Uh, but I was like, okay, seven years looks good on a resume. Actually. Sure. Like if you have seven years somewhere, you can really apply yourself to something and really stick with it. Right. So I was like, okay, I need a retail gig. I need it to be full time. And I need it to uh, pay decent. So I kind of plug all my little parameters into Indeed. And I just start firing off resumes everywhere. I interviewed at a Cervati's pastry place. It's like a Cincinnati um, a pastry institution. And I got uh, an interview with them. And I actually, a very nice woman was like, I was telling her my story about how I'd worked at Kohl's for forever. And I did, I did so much work for that company. I have a tendency to like, I get in with a place and then I do everything. Like I learn every gig and I fill in everywhere and I become indispensable. Like whenever I leave a job, the people that I work with are always like, please don't, please do not go because things right. will not run as nice as they do with you. Um, and she actually told me, she's like, you have to get more money. She's like, probably even than here. Like the way you describe your work, like you have to do better for yourself. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. So I started applying to more, remunerative positions. I eventually found a customer service position with this company, uh, mostly doing like over the phone stuff, but like applying the sort of retail experience that I had. And I apply to the company that I'm working for now and I'm making a little bit more money at least uh, enough to like actually be out on my own and not living at my mom's place anymore. And I, I'm not in love with selling furniture. It's not what I want to do really? in the forever term, right? <laughs> but it is something that I think can get me somewhere. Like I, I was joking with somebody the other day where I'm like, well, I started selling jewelry at Kohl's and now I'm selling furniture for this other company. Why well, I sell cars next and eventually I'll sell spaceships or so. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like I just need to sell the more expensive thing. <clears throat> Move up. Um, yeah. The furniture, I think the yeah. next step is... Um... Real estate. Start start see, selling I house. I yeah. won't fucking do real yeah, estate because real estate turns you to a monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's you know, it's paying the bills. It's um giving me some sense of validation too. Mm -hmm. Like when I see the numbers come out on Monday, like after after a week of working hard on the floor and uh I'm sort of like middle of the pack but like new, like I'm newer to the position, but I'm sort of like holding my own in terms of rankings. I'm like, okay, I can maybe do this. And uh, 
that's sort of a new feeling, honestly, feeling like I can pro like actually succeed in a field. Yeah. Is uh is a pretty new feeling and one that I like. Yeah, it's it's hard like <clears throat> there's so much I mean I I think the ADHD people we um we experience this a lot feeling or just presupposing that we're pretty much useless mm -hmm. um and finally finding something that you're good at or at least like you can tolerate as a day job yeah. you know is 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 a crazy feeling and um you know with me like i work so many different like stupid little jobs that I juggle all the time. I've worked in pet care forever. I'm yeah. doing like art handling. I'm doing this and that. Right. And, um, I don't know, just the constant, um, need to like, or, or, or anxiety I have about like explaining what it is I do for work, the constant, like, uh, sometimes feeling like embarrassed about yes. my job or how people will perceive my job and like how, yeah. what it, what it means about me as a person um, is it can really, I mean all like financial stress aside and just like not getting paid enough. Like that's a whole other thing. Cause nobody, like, is. Cause nobody is, but like just the kind of, uh, social ranking, I guess, of, of being in the, you know, the working class, um, can really feel weird. And like, yeah. I've gotten used to it to where like, I feel like I'm more or less like, I mean, you know, like I learned to code, um, and that hasn't quite yielded any results yet. Like I've done a couple of freelance things, but like yeah. the tech sector is like, going down in flames right now like people who have 10 years of experience aren't getting jobs or people are getting laid off left and right so like it was just bad timing but yeah. outside of that like i've kind of accepted that like i'm just gonna have these sorts of jobs forever when like you feel like as somebody who like Especially like if you're somebody who like went to college that this is supposed to be something that's just like transitory that like yeah. your 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 retail career is just something that happens to you in your 20s and then you move on to something else. And but that's not the case for everybody. In fact, right, probably not right, the case right. for most people. Yeah. And like I remember working at the Kroger for the first time and seeing lifers. Mm -hmm. Like seeing people who would just work for Kroger, like in the fucking produce department at Kroger for their whole life long. Now, the neat thing about Kroger is it's a union shop. So like apparently the people who had been there for 25 years were actually doing OK for yeah. the time, which, you know, God bless them. You know, if you can tolerate that kind of work for that long, you should be making a fucking living wage for God's sake. Um, but I always remember feeling like bad for them like you got trapped like shouldn't you be i don't know email job by now or something yeah. you know what i mean like there's this sense that there's like professional development means eventually getting 
some kind of job that doesn't really do much, but gets paid way more than it's worth. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've come to accept, I think, I think I might be one of those lifers. I think I might be in retail maybe forever, at least until this podcast shit breaks. Right. Yeah. At least until we start making money doing this. Uh, Patreon.com slash RFTB. Do I have that? Yes. Right? $5 yeah. a month gets you a bonus <laughs> episode every week. $10 a month. You get a shout out at the end of every main feed episode. Hell yeah. Um, I got to work on my fucking bonus content. My Patreon is sad. I'm making like $12 a month. On fuck. It's we can get, you know, it's so we like, got ideas. Yeah. It's just like, I have a hard enough time fucking making content for the main feed. And then like, mm -hmm. you know, cause like it's, I think it's easier if you have like, a co-host or if you have like a yeah because it's all you a hook yeah because like i kept trying to like make like bonus content where it's just like just me and a microphone i'm like i'll talk about um i don't know depressing records that i really like so i did that for a while and that was fun <laughs> but i was just like yeah this is so hard i don't know if you've ever tried to like host an episode by yourself it sucks talking to no one by yourself for even 20 minutes is like yeah. It's like holding a plank. It's like holding a, plank pose. <laughs> I did a minute and a half thanking people for coming to the live show by myself. Miserable. Miserable yeah. experience. So hard. hard to do. So yeah, that's that's what I'm currently wrangling with. Like, how do I make bonus content for, yeah. for you know, like, because I... Just booking guests on this and then, like, I, I tried for a second to, like, pull aside guests and make bonus content with the guest. And then I'm like, so we did well, for a while, but like, then do they get a cut of the bonus feed? Like I, it, it just, it never felt right. Like what else do we do for the bonus feed? You know, like it, I haven't come up with that in, in like six years of doing this fucking show. So I have an idea just spitballing. Sure. You're ready to hear it. Get, uh, so this is about the experience of it. And this is about people going through it. Find, people in the industry around mental health to talk about like what the fuck do you do about it mm -hmm. and then do that on the patreon have like people in the mental health profession come in to talk about specific topics in mental health but then you have to make connects in the industry and that's like a whole fucking thing yeah that i've had a couple of like actual therapists on the show um and that's always like really cool uh, I f yeah, it, that's a good idea, but like I, that, I think would be that might be harder to do. I don't know, like, because like with like professional therapists, right? You have to like have a little bit more of a careful public persona or sure, something, sure. right? Like, uh, I don't know. Oh yeah, harder maybe. to get them to say dick and fart jokes. Yeah, which like I mean, that's the other thing is like it would they would most likely be a little bit more like dry and less, you know, like fun and entertaining if right, they're like right. a like licensed clinician or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's, that's worth considering for sure. Yeah. Good something, idea. something to chew on. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I need to think about that. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap it up for real this time. Yeah. Um, Audrey, uh, give us your plugs and, uh, and, and let's get out of here. Yeah, uh, you should listen to... If you love this show, you're going to love our show. It's called Radio Free Toe Bag. It's a show about relationships. You heard Donovan talk about it the other week. Mm -hmm. uh, goofy uh, japes and jokes and genuine heartfelt advice, as well as uh, uh, gender euphoria. Maybe maybe you'll get some gender euphoria out of listening to it. Who knows? Um, RFTB.me uh, for that particular show or anywhere you find podcasts. I got one more I want to do real quick. 
Uh, it's called Data Transfer. It's a trans-feminine reading of the Digimon Adventures animated series that I do with my partner, Corla. It is an unhinged, uh, inordinately horny time. Uh, and we're getting back into producing episodes for that. So uh, if you have any affection for that particular series, Digimon Hell yeah. Adventures. That is niche. Come, Somehow get more niche than than uh, Pokemon. Like, like really, like the <laughs> yeah. more obscure version. <laughs> I called it Walmart Pokemon. Uh, yeah, at one point the Big Bad Beetleborgs version of Pokemon. <laughs> oh my God, she wants to do Big Bad Beetleborgs for bonus content so bad. <laughs> do it. Why not? <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? Fuck it. Triangulate our power. Yeah. Let's do it. Just go like like really like tertiary like children's shows. Get into like Biker Mice from Mars. Get into like the street really sharks. Street Sharks. The the weird Mighty Ducks cartoon where they're anthropomorphic oh, yeah. ducks. Uh, there that was rock. like reboot. The 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 cow like the real cowboys of Moo Mesa. You remember that yeah. one? They were fucking cowboys, but they were cows. Yeah, yeah. They, everything that happened after Ninja Turtles was just like uh, animals that talk uh, do a thing. A, a team of animals. Yeah. It's, yeah. So there's there's a whole treasure trove there. Um, Sounds good. Which, like, so far as like bonus content, like maybe I'll just do something completely fucking unrelated to mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, just just like I don't know. I'm going to talk about mist. I'm going to talk yeah, about it. Doesn't have, it yeah. doesn't have to be the show again, but more. It's it true. Be, it can just yeah. be a whole other Anything. side thing. Anyway, this was totally lovely. And uh, I look forward to uh, to coming on your show and, t- and talking to both of you. It's it's, it's such a great. fun show. You have such a good rapport. You both have great voices, just great like media ass voices. And Thanks. it's just you're, you're, you're crushing it. So so keep on Appreciate trucking. Appreciate saying that. Thank you. Thank you once again to Audrey Brem being on the show. All of that stuff. Go check out Radio Free Tote Bag if you haven't already. If you like this show, you'll like that one. In fact, you'll probably like it better. In fact, you'll probably stop listening to this one. Just listen to them. That's fine. I understand. I've I've been cucked by podcasts before. And I'm glad it's them. It's okay. Uh... That's all. I, I, I uh, love you and honor you and uh, uh, bow before you. And uh, music is by Shea Bartel. Uh, theme song was recorded by Shea Bartel and me. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's all. That's all I got. Another week. Another dollar. That's about as, oh my God, I'm on money again. See, this is the thing. Can you tell I've been a little stressed out about money lately? That's okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to garner any fucking sympathy, pity, any of that. Everybody's broke these days. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just been on, been on my mental lately. That's all. Anyway. It's bad. It kind of keeps coming up every time I just sort of run my mouth. I eventually bring it back around to like, boy... Sure, I'm broke. <laughs> and uh, nobody knows what to do with that, so it's very off-putting for people. I don't, uh, I try and just avoid talking to people about anything, really, when I'm at work and stuff. Eh, who needs it? Anyway, uh, that's all. I'm gonna, uh, I, that's all. I don't owe you. Anything else? Bye.